Everybody, welcome to another episode of Recovery Friends Podcast, uh, where people who are in active recovery from addiction share their unique experience in the hopes that listeners still in active addiction uh, can identify with their stories and find hope for their own recovery. We are not affiliated or do we speak for any 12-step programs or any other addiction or recovery-based entity. The words spoken here reflect the experience of our guests and not the opinion of their chosen path to recovery. Thank you. Um, all right. So I know it's been, a, it's been a little while since I've released an episode. So if you're listening to this, we apologize for the delay. We had some technical difficulties with our last guest, Jessica B. Uh, we failed to record some of the audio. So hopefully in the future... Uh, we'll get her back over here and uh, and re-record her story, which uh, was a, you know really it was really good. This is a really faux pas on my part, uh, but tonight you guys are in for a treat, as uh, my fellow Bald Heads Anonymous uh, <laughs> member uh, Eric E is here uh, to tell his. His uh, story of the uh, about the thug life. The thug life, right? You were <laughs> I lived it. I lived it for a few years. You did. <laughs> I tried to. I looked like maybe I lived it, uh-huh. but not really. Uh, you, I, I, you know what? Like <laughs> the fact. That I don't think, think I ever lived it. The fact that you still think that maybe you looked like you lived it. <laughs> I, I don't I mean, think I. Did. <laughs> it's funny because that's like one of the. I'm sure people like saw you you thugging and they were like, "What is this?" White mm. dude's problem. What's his private thing? school? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it was a phase. That was just like it was a, a long phase. It's just such the funniest part of your story. Yours yeah. and Brent's. I'm always yeah. like, it's like, funny that he the became my sponsor, and it's then I'm asking him. I'm like, what? So you yeah. were in a gang too? Yeah, and I didn't believe him. Right? Yeah. I didn't think his gang was like as serious as what he made out to be. Yeah. So he actually paid to get the article. Because he's like, we were in the newspaper. Like, no. we were serious. I'm like, nah, no way. Uh. So he actually paid, like, Times Picking on, like, 20 bucks and shows me, emails me the article. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. It and be, I was like, man, that's it, my spot. Like, it didn't matter. All the <laughs> spiritual stuff he did, that was the most proud thing. I was like, all right, that's my spot. Uh, yeah, you know? Like, awesome. <laughs> and then, like, he was like, he also, I'm going to he said he used to, like, you know, like, try to write lyrics. And he was, <laughs> and he read one of them. <laughs> And it was something like uh, pull out my shoddy, like John Gotti, or something like that. Real fresh tracks. Yeah, that was like pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty fresh tracks. <laughs> the freshest. No, I make fun, but I laugh because I thought I was hard. Like I wanted to be a thug too. I think anybody our age, uh, when like you know hip hop in the late '90s, yeah, early 2000s, yeah. Eminem came out. Oh. I mean, Eminem was like like the he was he he was what came out of like. The suburban hip hop obsession culture, you know, yeah, like I, you know, a lot of us went through that phase, you know. I, I really, uh, it was like Tupac and 
you oh, know, yeah. NWA and Hot Boys. And yeah. You, did you say No Limit? I was more No Limit than Cash Money. Like early, I was like, who you got? Well, no Limit, <laughs> you know, but. Oh, really? Yeah. So there was a No Limit ca Cash Money debate? Yeah, yeah. In school, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> we used to debate it, yeah. Oh, wow. I never had that debate because <laughs> I feel like they were two different eras, you know, because like it was, it was yeah. No Limit, then Cash Money. Yeah, right. Now, like East, West Coast, like we right. was. You know, people was taking sides, yeah, and it, it was it was pitting brother <laughs> against brother and sister. Yeah, that, that was some serious stuff, you know. Yeah, did question. I mean, I know this is like a long in, aside in the I beginning. I like it. I like it. Did you and your friends use the N word with each other? Like, yeah, we did. You we did. did. Yeah. Not no. Um, I don't. It really know. is a bad look, man. It is. It is. Now I'm looking back. Like, oh, I did too. You, you know, know it wasn't in a um, derogatory way, but yeah. now I, when I see other people do it, it's like, and what I look are you at them, right, right. Like, God, yeah. Well, I think about it like, you know, so I'm a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school when I'm going through this thug, quote unquote, yeah. stage. And now I look at kids that are that age and I'm like, geez, like, what did the older people look at us and like, oh, yeah, they you were. know, what did they think? Yeah, you know, they I mean, judged. I was a little kid. They yeah, judged, you yeah. know, and like, just like, yeah, we look at the kids now. It's like adolescents going through getting caught up in the mainstream, whatever of the time. Right. And that was it. Right. At the time, like, it was like, you know, you were sagging your pants. Oh, yeah. Po polos. I'm sure you wore polos like crazy. Jabot. Jabot jeans yeah. with the little thing in the front. Yeah. Come on, the little <laughs> pocket, the little knife shaped pocket in the side. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, those was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I never rocked the ones with like the Velcro things on the front. I see. I never saw those. Those yeah. never got to the rural areas where no. I was from. Um, so yeah. But I, the funny thing is, though, I reinvented myself. I got sober at like 32, uh -huh. and I went to treatment, and I became a thug all over again. Oh, like it circled back. back. Yeah. Well, the, by the time you got, <laughs> I came back. You're like, this is me. Yeah. I started wearing this. all kind of hats and stuff, and. Writing lyrics. Yeah, know, and I remember like, I, I got out of treatment, and, you know, I, I went back to drinking and everything. I didn't stay sober long, but I was at Mystical was playing a show at uh -huh. this club in Laplace, Cadillacs. And uh, so I go out there with my buddy, and I run into another guy from high school, Ian. He's like, what's up, man? How you been? I ain't seen you. I was like, yeah, I just got out of rehab. I was out there six months. He starts laughing. He's like, what? So you went to rehab, and you came out a thug? Uh -huh. He starts laughing. So I really felt played when he said that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I might have realized a... Uh, a little moment of truth. Yeah. Swallowed a little moment of truth. Like, we yeah, need that, he's though. right. We need yeah. that. Like, cause we're all, we're all posing. I mean, look at me, dude. Right. Look, look what I'm wearing. Full, full bywater. Full. <laughs> I'm full <laughs> bywater. You just adapt to your environment. I yeah. think we're, we're just yeah. chameleons, yeah. Yeah. dog. That's all I do. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I do. I, I mean, <laughs> I, that, that, that's also like a, a natural, like human instinct, is you just adapt to your environment. You yeah, know? and I, I do mean, it I, well. I, I got, do it well. I do it real well. Yeah, dude. Like, I mean, but you have to. Uh, you have to have some form of like uh, credibility. <laughs> well, that's the idea in your head, you know. Right. And I think that like authenticity gives you the most credibility, but we don't realize that we like. Oh, let me change. Right, right. <laughs> let me fit in. Oh, all right. So, anyways, dude, we're already like just. We burned up ten minutes. We're yeah. On some tangents. Yeah. It's well, good though. We can I gotta tangent. say, Andy, you do roll out the red carpet. At least for me. I don't know about all the hosts, but oh, I got right. a pour over I'm sipping on over here. Yeah. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a coffee from uh, Peru. Mm. Who knew they made coffee in Peru? I didn't know. Mm. It's good. 
It's good stuff. Blueberry hints. Oh, yeah. It says it on the bag, but I'm always like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, blueberry, whoever came up with that. Um, all right, so what about your story, dude? What, what, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your, your journey? All right. Let's see. Um, so I was born and raised Laplace, Louisiana, mm. as we like to call it, L-Town. Oh, shoot. Where we keep it down. <laughs> <laughs> Is that actually what y'all would say? I used to say it. Yeah, yeah. that's horrible. A lot of people call it L-Town. Though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> where you keep it down? Yeah, where we keep it down. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's but, um, yeah, it's, it's a little town. It's in between. It's, what, about, I don't know, 30-minute drive from New Orleans, mm-hmm. in between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. It's, uh, there's not much to do out there. Growing up, um, you know, played sports. I mean, it was a good little community. You know, you can live out there. Our parents all settled out there because you can get a house cheaper, some property cheaper than you could out here in the New Orleans area. And, um, yeah, I had a great upbringing. You know, all my family's from Chicago. I was born and raised in Louisiana. Um, but they, uh, my mom and dad moved down here from Chicago. My dad took a job. And so they started, you know, a life down here. And um, growing up, it was great. You know, I don't remember, um, you know, that I had a childhood, like every opportunity, you know, parents that love me. But I do remember when my parents got divorced somewhere maybe around second grade mm-hmm. where I did start acting out a little more. Yeah. I was always and still am a big attention seeker. I love attention. Love that you stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, it's a drug. Give me a bunch of it. Yeah. yeah. And but then uh, I also like, weirdly don't like it. Right. But then I do. It's you weird. Know, if I, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very awkward, you know? But um, I would go to school and I, you know, I would get in trouble. You know, around this period, I was always getting in trouble, and I liked the attention, but yet I didn't. You know, I can remember always being in attention, and it was stupid things. Like, we would have, uh, if we were good in class for the week, they had this box, and you could pick one prize out the box. And they had this little Chuck Norris keychain thing, mm-hmm. and then they had a sumo wrestler one, and I, I wanted both, so I grabbed both, and I got caught uh-huh. with the Chuck Norris one, and it got detention. But it was like little things like that, you know, and then that progressed... I don't know, I guess I was just a follower, whatever some other kids might have been doing, I would do it too. So I can remember, I mean, this is young grade school, like huffing whiteout, you know, they would still give us the whiteout back then, like the little jars. You could huff that stuff? Oh, yeah. And get you loaded? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. That was the first thing I really found. Like not the pen, the the little... Yeah, the little container with with the 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 little brush, yeah. Yeah. And that, and like Sharpies. But man, that stuff did smell good, though. It did. And I just always liked to... (laughs) It's like when I go, I would pump gas for my dad or my mom, and I would spill a little gas on my fingers, and I would just sit there in the car smelling my fingers, like, oh, this just smells good. Yeah. Something about it. smells good, too. Yeah, it's great. Whiteout. Oh, man. Underrated. Underrated smell. Whiteout. Yeah, it's a big, you know, it's a big part of my story, you know? (laughs) And then when I found rubber cement, though, that that right there, that, that brought that huffing to a whole new level. And we're talking about I'm in fourth or fifth grade. I'm Huffing a kid. at that age. Yeah. And rubber semen. I never did. I would put a little bit in the tissue and lay my head down on the desk uh-huh. in class and just sit there. And what, it would get Smell. you lightheaded? Yeah. A little dizzy. And I'd yeah. cut up, you know. And yeah, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like the class clown always. I always wanted attention. And another thing we used to do, we used to have a name for it. I can't remember, but we would go in the bathroom. Well, it was like all us boys and we would 
you would bend down oh, yeah. and bend over and start hyperventilating. 10 yeah. deep breaths, 20 deep breaths in and out, and then stand up and push on And somebody chest. would come and push on your chest and we would black out. Yeah. You remember you did that? Fuck, dude, dude. I thought all, Honestly, I think every kid did that. J- jokes aside, that big part of my story. Yeah. Like, not like it's, it's just funny to say that's a big part of my story, but <laughs> yeah, that's actually no. a big part of my story. Like, I would do that. So I found, I think we did it when we were kids, like yeah. we, at sleepovers, and we were like, it was crazy. And it really was like a trippy experience. But I, I remember <coughs> this one time at a rave. And, Doing that? And I'm sitting there, dude, I was so out of my mind. And I'm sitting, and I met this guy sitting next to me. He ended up being like one of my bet, like one of those people that you that like. I met him at, at that rave in that instant, and then like we became like just like connected, you know? So yeah, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, forever. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. And uh, bros for life. But like, and he and he asked me, he's like, dude, you're fucked up. He was like, bro, you ever do an R.I.P.? And I'm like, well, what the fuck's an R.I.P.? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and he and he's that. It was that. It was that. That's what they call it. Okay. And then like, well, I guess we called guess, it something else. I guess they came up with doing that while you're on ecstasy. Yeah. To, and it and sounds great. And it sent you through the fucking moon. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started doing mm. that on my own every time I did ecstasy. I would yeah. do it like countless times. There's no telling how many brain cells mm. I massacred doing that. And I would just sit there and I'd do it over and over again. Yeah. Because yeah. the experience was so like intense. It's just straight blackout. Like you Boom. just yeah, lights, the wall you yeah. know, I don't know if it really did the wall walls, but you would just it yeah. would everything would go dark and you come to like, oh, let's do it again. Yeah, but you it know? was like a weird experience almost like I don't want to like glorify it because I I get like weird about it because it's like it's still I would have this weird ex- out of body experience every time. Yeah, and it was like, and it would blow my mind. Yeah, if any kids are listening to this podcast, do we that. do not endorse yeah. or condone we the RIP. <laughs> no, don't do the RIP, <laughs> kids. I mean, I'm literally probably ten points uh, lower on my IQ because mm. of it. I think. Yeah. No, it was. Um, it was something I can remember not wanting to go back to class, like, do another one. Come yeah. on, let's, you know, like, wow. and somebody's like, no, you got to push my lungs this yeah. time. Like, no, do me again, you know? Yeah. It was just that obsession. Yeah. And obsession. This it was, was like an sixth obsession. grade, yeah. sixth grade. It's crazy. And, um, you know, it was fun, though. You know, I got into the, um, I, I was really good at fitting in and looking the part. Like, mm-hmm. at one point, it was all like the BMX bike kind of you know era everybody had to have like i had a mongoose and yeah. had the pegs on it and would ride with my friends didn't really do any tricks maybe <laughs> pop a little wheelie it's like you know a smaller inches, bummy hop six, the, inches the six inch bunny hop <laughs> <laughs> but we would ride around we would go to the store like this was when cigarettes would just be on an aisle in the grocery uh-huh. store we go steal some tobacco products go off in the woods and smoke and you know just doing kid stuff i guess yeah and um so that it was really fun, you know. I, I mean, I had a good group of friends. I remember um, when my parents did divorce, though. I did move from Laplace to Mons, which Mons is like a little two-street town right next to the spillway. And I didn't know any of the kids out there. It's about a 10, 15-minute ride from my old house. Uh-huh. So now I'm not in like distance, like riding my bike in a neighborhood. You know, I, I got to meet all new people. And I still went to school in Laplace, so I was away from all my friends and um. That little period, I guess, I never wanted to stay home, you know. Um, I would always try to go to Laplace and hang out with some friends, sleep for the weekend. I remember my dad was really depressed after the divorce, and he didn't unpack for 
years. Wow. He just had his, uh, we had, you know, we had a nice house in the ground pool and they split up and he bought a little trailer in months and it was um, just full of boxes. You know, you come from a big four, you know, three bedroom, big old house with all this stuff to this little trailer and it was just packed with boxes, like a walkway to get through to living room. So I, I didn't want any kids to come over. I was really embarrassed about that thinking back on it trailers yeah yeah Yeah. and it was like i went to um i had always went to private school um catholic school and i guess i was embarrassed to have people come over like that fear that early instilled fear that maybe they would judge me Mm -hmm. because of where i lived or how i lived so that was and i don't know where that fear came from you know i really don't but i was always nervous about like having friends come over and seeing that yeah i had the same experience for some reason like i always thought that I mean, I, I was well aware that we were poorer than all my friends. Right. So, like, anytime they came to my house, I felt like, oh, my house is, like, so ugly and dirty right. or, or just, like, and it wasn't dirty necessarily. It was just not it, as nice or not as their nice. house when you go yeah. there. Right. You know, right. and that, that was always a fear. I and think maybe it's that. just, like, I don't know if it's a normal kid thing or, you know, just or thinking somehow that we're, like, deficient or, like, we're different in a worse way. Yeah, you know? yeah, it was, um, I don't know, that was one of those early fears, though, I could remember, you know, um, just hate, hated having anybody come over, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd always try to go to their house, and um, uh, I, I don't know, it's just, being in months, it was kind of, I don't know, that, I guess that's where my life just took a turning point, like, I wanted to go hang out with my friends, and I remember, like, during the summer, my dad had to work, I wasn't quite old enough to stay home alone yet, mm-hmm. so I would just go to work with him every day. And then uh, he used to advertise for these tourist attractions. So he had this one uh, celebration station, which is like a video game, like a place you go and play all these games. So he had these coupons where he'd get like a a dollar's worth of free tokens. He would go in there and tell them I got 10 kids with me, give them 10, and he'd get a roll of quarters, roll of these tokens. So he would bring me there with like 10 rolls of tokens and drop me off. So I was was at the celebration station. I was just hustled the tokens. I'd be at the machine like, hey, you know, you want five for a dollar? You know, I'd play all the games, eat the pizza. But I, I remember I was probably about seventh, eighth grade, and I started s- saving up money, selling these tokens, you know, and I had this little bank account, and I'd bring friends there with me. It was fun. You know, yeah. I was the master at Mortal Kombat. I, would, I was undefeated on the huh. Mortal Kombat machine there. I was just never good at video games. Yeah. I was just good at Mortal Kombat. <laughs> these days, I suck, but uh, so, um, yeah. And I don't know. I guess I had this buddy Slade who I started hanging out with like around eighth grade. Now we're into like that grunge kind of period. I guess I was. I had the flannel shirts, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Nirvana. as you are. Yes. Oh, man. I had the butt cut, full butt cut. Oh, yeah. And it was an undercut, too. It was shaved on the sides, and I could put it in a little ponytail. You had to do the undercut. You had to shave it underneath. Yeah. And uh, it was was a great, great part of my life, you know, and I started hanging out with Slade. And he had got expelled, and he started going to public school. So then he kind of started turning a little more gangster or whatever, getting into oh. that style. So you were like, what? I'm confused. Which way do I go? Right, right. So I started <laughs> hanging out with him. And, you know, we're doing things like he was prescribed Ritalin, but he wouldn't take them because he didn't like how they made him feel. So I would go stay at his house, and he would give me these Ritalin. And I, I remember one time I took maybe 20 Ritalin throughout the day, and I'm just, I'm all jacked up. 20 you know? Ritalin. How old yeah. are you? At this point, I'm probably like a freshman okay. in high school. That's a lot of Ritalin. Yeah, it's a lot. And um, 
and, you know, by this point, I got drunk maybe once. I remember my first, my first drunk, uh, me and my buddy Mike rode to Dell Champs. We stole some Mad Dog 2020. We drank it hot. We got in a lot of trouble. It was great, but I really didn't, you know, I didn't have much access to alcohol um, early on. It was easier to get drugs, you know, and I, I was the kind of type, whatever you were doing, if we were cool, I'd eventually do it. Peer pressure, whatever, you know, I, I, interest, I would try it, you know, and um, started getting into weed. You know, that was a major part. I mean, I was an everyday weed smoker until um, I got sober. Every day. You know, every day. All if day. I had it, yeah. You know, I, I can remember in high school, like I would, uh, it was like two ten, a dollar fifty for lunch at my school, and sixty cents for an extra fry. So I would ask my dad for two ten every day, and what I would do is I, I wouldn't eat. I would just get the extra fry. You know, I get somebody else to get it for me sixty cents, and I'd save up the dollar fifty, and I'd buy like a little bag of weed every week, and I had a little pipe, and I'd sit, and I'd wake up early, and hook my fan up in my window in my bedroom. Take a shower, I'd come out, I'd smoke, and then my dad would bring me to school, you know, and I'd air out my room or whatever, and I'd smoke. And he never smelled it on you? Uh, he never asked anything. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, he eventually found, like, bongs and pipes in my room. Um, but I had, I, I mean, I really looked apart. By this time, I had, like, Cypress Hill black light posters and, you know, just mushroom posters and all this black light stuff I had in my room. I really was going <laughs> full for that, that look, you know? Psychedelic hip-hop. Yeah. Yet I never wanted anybody in my room but me, though, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it just, you know, I just started getting in to all these different things, you know. Freshman year of high school was uh, rehypnol was a big thing, you know. People would say the date rape drug. Oh, yeah. Um, so these, you know. People were slipping in, in the, the ladies' cocktails. Yeah, and it was big. I remember my freshman year. Somebody had them one day, a bunch of them. So I wound up getting, you know, selling them three for five. What do they call it when you take that? They it was rehypnol. Yeah, but they didn't have like a a word for it, like a cool word. I for think it was you, just rehypnol. You were rehypnol. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I, so roping? I went. I went up taking dog? all three of these things, and I was kind of loaded. You know, I was pretty loaded, and I I was kind of I stayed low key about it though. But I remember my out of my class in high school, I believe it was nine people got expelled that day, all for being loaded, fighting. Um, you know, blacking out, falling over. Yeah. And I just was like, you know, it was, you know, I made it through that. You know, I just kind of kept my head down on the desk. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, you know, Slade's, I remember I'm hanging out with Slade. Now they're, they're into this cripping thing. You know, they got this little crip game going. And oh. they was like, we're going to jump you in, you know, Dopey. That was my nickname and the gang was Dopey. And uh, I was like, all right. So you know? Crips, you guys wore that blue. Yeah, we wore the blue. Right. I wore red in eighth grade, and then by this point, I, I was a transformer. I went to blue. So, yeah. Were any of your friends' bloods in in in, in, in high school? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I had a few. My boy Kyle, shout out Kyle. He was um he was a blood, you know. Now he's so, like polo wearing, so how does business that, entrepreneur. <laughs> how does that work? Like, I mean, it's funny because like you can just claim to be the the gang. You don't Whenever. have to like. You don't have to like. Write the the headquarters and and, and no, put an just, no, they jumped me in. They said we're, we're going to jump you like in to yeah. form a local gang, a local group of the uh, uh, of the Crips, the chapter, the, cha yeah, local chapter. the, the local chapter. No, we weren't like legit like that. Like we didn't go to like 
<laughs> you know, meetings and all that. We just was some punk kids like that the, the started something. Convention in 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 in, in L.A. Conference. South Central. Yeah, in no. South Central. <laughs> well, it was like they had this documentary. It was like banging in Little Rock on uh-huh. HBO, and that was really big. And the movie Colors was really big. And you know, it's just I wanted to be like that. Yeah. It and, looked fun. Yeah. It looked exciting. And around what what year was this? This was probably ninety seven. Ninety seven. Ninety eight. Okay, so this is, hmm, is this around the time, when did Pop get killed? I don't 90, know, after that, I think. Before that. It was before? Was it, but so it's around the whole, like, like yeah. gangster rap, yeah, it was like yeah. huge. Um, yeah, and I guess NWA was before that. Yeah, the NWA, I mean, I listened to it, but it, the yeah. albums that came out before like I was, I was younger, and then I got into it as I got older. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we're about the, how old are you? I'm 37, about yeah. to be 38. Yeah, we're about the same age. You're yeah. about a year. Old. Class of 2000. Oh one, baby. You oh one, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, same same era. Although like I didn't move, I didn't come to the states till '95. All right. Um, so I mean, I didn't get like so. I think in like '95 you had a what was that Coolio. Not Coolio. Gangsta's Paradise. Paradise. Yeah, that was, was a hit. That was a hit. Oh, I remember that shit yeah. was just... Minute fight. after minute. Hour after hour. Uh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, I still love that song. Yeah. It's a, it's a great song for karaoke if you ever like... Yeah. People love it. Right. So if you want to get like the crowd involved... Some Coolio. Gangster's Paradise. Yeah. Coolio's not like super like... It's a good dip, a good dip, a good dip. You can rap with them, right? You know, it's, right? It's doable. I think I could do it <laughs> <laughs> if I can cross that fear and do it. Yeah, you've never done it with the no, no. The after the felt, no. I always think, man, I should do it. You know, <laughs> if on. I think if I do it, my go-to would be Kid Rock, and that's kind of lame. So Which one? Only God knows why. No, that's fine. Yeah. Is that a duet? No, no. Oh, it's just solo. Picture. Yeah, synthesizer. Yeah, or picture. I could do picture. Yeah. Shower Crow and Kid Rock. Yeah. You should, yeah, get somebody to go up there with you. Yeah. You know, duet. Right. <laughs> but um, where were we at? I don't know. <laughs> we went on this tangent. Uh, um, oh, yeah, so I got jumped in the gang. Kick colors. RLC. Colors. We were RLC. Colors. There was three other dudes jumped me in. We smoked a blunt after I got jumped in, and I mm-hmm. felt official. I was part of something. <laughs> part of something bigger than me. That's Even it. though it was four of us. Yeah. And we really, um, we were outnumbered. You know, uh, I can remember one time we were about to get jumped and we all just ran. Uh-huh. We started yeah. knocking door to door. That's Let us in. Call the police. <laughs> <laughs> like we were not. Yeah. Uh, Self-preservation, man. Full it's, disclosure. It's respect, yeah. Respect. Trying to survive to fight another day. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I loved it. You know, and then um, I never was popular in school. I never was good with the ladies. But I was like the funny guy. And I was that the stoner guy. You know, that was like the the reputation I went after was... um. You know, I like to get loaded. That's that's what I do. And that's where I found my people. You know, I found the people that like to do that, too. Uh, didn't play sports in high school because I knew I'd get drug tested. And after work, I mean, after school, I'd rather go get loaded. Um, so I just I made good grades. I cheated a lot through high school, but I made decent enough grades. And then uh, come senior year, I started feeling a little more popular. I, I should say, like, some of the popular kids wanted to hang out with me. And I formed friendships with them. Because they started experimenting and getting uh-huh. into drugs. So now oh, we're hanging out. You know, they're picking me up. I never had a car. So I was oh. like, whoever could pick me up on the weekends, like, I'm rolling with you. Yeah. Or after school, you know. And we we did a lot of acid in high school, a lot of ecstasy. I mean, uh, 
you know, it was great. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. You know, I had so much fun in high school. I really did. And, uh, uh, after high school, uh, I got a, I got a scholarship. I got a top scholarship and went to UL in Lafayette. Wow. Yeah. I remember I took the ACT the first time and I, I didn't do anything for like a week. I didn't smoke. I didn't go out drinking, didn't do anything. And I, I, I think I made like a 16 or a 17 and, uh, I was like, man, I ain't gonna. I think I needed a 19 to get in school. I don't even remember. Yeah. Whatever it was, I was like two points under to get a scholarship, you know, yeah. a, a free ride in college because I had like a 3.2 in high school. So the next time I, uh, I wound up going out and smoking crack for the first time the night before. The night you know? before your ACT. Yeah, like yeah. we were trying to get some, some weed and, and the dude's like, I ain't got that. I got the heart. Like, what is that? You know, I'd done coke before and he's like, crack. It's like, nah, we don't want that. And, um, so we go back later. Oh, no, we, we bought some. And then we go back later looking for more crack. And the dude on the corner is like, no, I got some weed. We're like, no, we don't really want that. But we bought it anyway. So, yeah, we wound up, me and my buddy, staying up smoking crack all night. And I went back and put C for everything. I aced the ACT. I got like a 24. Went really? To, yeah. Went dude, to, that's like... That's like, you've heard me tell my, my ACT story? Yeah, yeah. It's like the same thing. You put C. Yeah, it went in doubt, put C. <laughs> but I no, would try it some, but if I was in doubt, yeah, I'd put C. No, but I didn't try it any, and I did bad. I, yeah. think, I think I got maybe like a 14 or a 15. Mm. And I just went in and just went, like, from yeah. jump. I really and tried. for the first time I smoked Coke. Yeah, yeah. With my weed. Primo. So it's like... It's like the exact same story. Yeah, and we're I think very they, similar. And I didn't go to it's bed. It's funny how the universe has reconnected us now. Yeah. I'm like, we're on the same, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I mean, you know, high school was great. You know, it was a lot of fun. And I, w- I went off to college with a good friend, my boy Buddha, and he was kind of, um, he had a car and he's like, look, we wanted to go to Lafayette because it was f- far enough away from home. And they had a lot of older kids from our town that were in Lafayette. And we'd go party out there on the weekends. Yeah. And, uh you know, we go out to clubs rolling and drinking. It was just, it was great. A good party vibe. I was like, yeah, let's go out here. Yeah. And, uh, I was I was partying in Lafayette during that era, too. Yeah, it was a great town. We might have walked, brushed up against each other. Yeah, Firestones. And, uh, I stayed at the Firestone mm, on the weekend, boy. Yeah, I loved it. I loved everything. <laughs> and so we, we go out there and we got a job at this uh, job in the oil field. They were paying us like 18 bucks an hour. We were part of a temp service and... um. They, it was a friend of ours. His dad was the boss there at the shop, and they were merging with another company. He's like, y'all are coming to college? I'm going to give y'all hours. So we would go, and man, and the shop manager, he was about to lose his job. He's like, how, many, how much y'all work this week, 20 hours? He put 50 or 60 on our thing, and we had these huge paychecks. And uh, we did quit doing drugs to get the job, and we were just drinking. You know, we had this little apartment, one bedroom, uh, two little twin beds in it. Uh, two folding chairs and a TV, and That's we would just get pints, drink pints. We lived on. We had a George Foreman sandwich maker, God. muffins, the little <laughs> dollar pack of muffins, and every now and then we'd make a salad with a bunch of ranch dressing. It was great. I mean, everybody would come over. We would get super stoned. Wound up dropping out of school um, because I'd rather just sit there and get loaded. Yeah, you know, and. uh Really, it was great. But what happened was I lost that job. You know, I couldn't pass a drug test and ran off out the yard, jumped the fence, and uh, wound up moving back to Laplace. You know, and that was really, I felt like when I moved back to Laplace, I just had nothing going for me. You know, I'm about maybe 20 years old at this point, and I'm just going out, hanging out with, uh, you know, my friends that were still in high school, a few grades younger than me, partying with them. 
kind of mooching off of them, you know, and uh, one day I woke up um, hungover and uh, my dad said, hey, do you want a job? I was like, yeah. He had hired this uh, this woman. She was like a, I don't know, she, I think she was a stripper, but he, I don't know, he hired her and she was going to be the, um, the, the office person mm-hmm. and she lasted two days and quit. You know, and then uh, they were in a relationship too, so it was just it was a messy situation. Right. But he woke up and he's like, "Look." And then he hired you. Yeah, you want a job? Dad hires great people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from from splendid, the, from, to me, judgment. right? Yeah, great choices. <laughs> <laughs> the easier, softer way. And so he's like, "Look, yeah." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay, good. You want a car? Just pay the insurance." He had, they broke up, so he had a little SUV for her, and he gave it to me. And he's like, "Just pay the insurance." So all of a sudden, man. Life is great. Got my first vehicle, mm. you know, got a job, mm. stuff, you know, like, <laughs> like the world is mine, you know. And uh, so I started going and, um, and I was a good employee for a while. But what happened was, um, you know, I'm still I'm partying with my friends and when I'm the kind of guy, whatever that circle of people I'm hanging around is doing, I eventually wind up doing it. And uh, so I started getting into opiates. You know, I never liked them, but uh, a buddy of mine, you know, or actually a girl, she she's like, buy me a beer, E. Diddy. And uh, she's like, I'll give you some of these lower tabs. I was like, call, buy me a beer who? E. Diddy. She used to call me E. Diddy. E. Diddy. E. Diddy. Oh, I had all kind of names. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Opie? What was the first one? Huh? What was the first one? Opie? Dopey. Dopey. Dopey, E. Diddy. Uh-huh. Urch. Urch. Big E. Oh, Urch. Easy E. I had all kind of names. Um, but yeah, so she... Uh, she well, gave see, me these lower tabs. I think that's a good measure of how well liked you are. Yeah. You know, Maybe. usually if you have a lot of nicknames, <laughs> that means they're popular. <laughs> these people like you. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I tried these pills. You know, I'm at the daiquiri shop. Shout out daiquiri shop. Laplace. That's my spot. You yeah. know, I was there every day. It's like, why? Uh, well, I guess daiquiri shop, daiquiri shack. Yeah. But like daiquiri owners they don't deviate from those two. It's either one or the other. Yeah. And they're not, they can't be all connected, are they? I don't know. Well, they had two in Laplace. There was a New Orleans original. Oh, yeah. And then the, the D shop. The we called off. it the D. Yeah, yeah. That's why New Orleans original right. had to put original on there. Because yeah. they're like, all oh, these right. knockoffs. And we just, you know, spot to hang out. But uh, I, so I would go and I'd take these pills. I'm drinking my beer, you know, and next thing you know, I'm sick. So I'm in the bathroom, projectile vomit, and just all this alcohol, straight alcohol coming out. And uh, I come out, though, and I feel great after. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could talk to the pretty girl. I could hang out with the boys and, like, cut up and just, I could, it enabled me to, um, you know, not live in all those fears and have those anxieties. Like, I just, I didn't have a care in the world. When I felt that mixture of alcohol and pain pills, there was just not a care in the world. And it was, I was really energetic. And um, so I started doing that more frequently and then came to a point where I would um, start taking them in the morning on an empty stomach because my tolerance was getting up. And, uh, you know, by that point, I think once I got to the point where I was taking them on an empty stomach in the morning, which was only maybe a month or two after initially taking these pain pills that I used to not like in high school, I was more of a Xanax and upper kind of guy. And, um, that was like, you know, I crossed that line, you know, I never thought something like would get a grip on me and I wouldn't be able to stop. You know, I never been dependent really on the stuff. Like if I didn't have it, I could still function. And so then I, you know, I would, I would be stuck at this warehouse working for my, you know, dad's company and I would have buddies come drop them off, you know, and then, then came the, the OCAD era, you know, 
I remember I used to be able to get one of them and it would last me like 10 different lines, you know, 10 lines out of one. Yeah. And it just, I loved it, but I was always sick. My buddies would place bets on me, like on a Friday night at the bar, like when I would throw up. They would uh -huh. actually place <laughs> bets when I, because I threw up every night for about four years. Yeah. But I still did it anyway, you wow. know? <laughs> and, um, uh, I started you'd always get, feel better after the throw up. Yeah. You I just loved how it made me feel. And I would get sick, but yeah. I would keep doing it, you know? Yeah. I didn't care. And I, I'm sure I looked like a mess, you know? And, um, so I started having consequences. I started, uh, I got arrested, you know, for possession of pain pills. By this time I had, I had a DWI and, uh, when I was younger and then I got arrested for possession of pain pills. And, um, this is my first time like really getting in trouble. Like the DWI, they let me out of jail that next morning. I, I didn't get much trouble. My dad didn't say much about me getting one. Uh, this time I got uh, three years probate. My dad came by me out. I sat in jail overnight and, uh, I went to court and I got three years probation and I had to go to outpatient treatment center. So what happened when I went to outpatient was, um, I didn't go to any meetings. I just went to the groups. But what I did is I, I quit smoking weed, but I really, my pain pill addiction even increased though. Cause we would go to group like Monday and Wednesday. And so Wednesday and Thursday I would do pain pills cause they would get out of my system, yeah. you know? And, um, and by the time, you know, I, I finished probation. I just never got in trouble. Um, you know, I never got violated. Um, you know, my PO liked me. She come by my house once. I paid my money. I was working. She wasn't really worried about me. And uh, it was crazy because I was on inactive probation. So I would pay my money at the end, and I would just have to see her every three months. So I went to see her. I paid my money. And she's like, look, you'll be done in two months or whatever it was. You don't have to come see me anymore. You're all paid up. Like yeah. good, so I'm going. I'm uh, I was leaving Delgado. I was enrolled at Delgado, and I'm leaving there one night to go play poker. And I had a got pulled over by a cop, and I had about you know ten or fifteen oxys on me and weed. He smelled the weed, and it was crazy because they wound up arresting me. But by the time I got booked, it was after midnight, and this was my last night of probation. Like I oh. should have done three. I should have violated uh. probation, but like. <laughs> Something was looking out for me. I was like, I believed in God that night because yeah. I didn't get booked till after midnight. That's so crazy. I didn't violate. Damn. And so this time it was major. This time was like my name's in the paper all over schedule one, schedule two, schedule three. Because I had all I had 40s, 80s and lower set 10s. Uh -huh. And then I had weed. So I had the four charges in the paper. It looked really bad. Yeah. People are asking me, what the hell are you doing? What the fuck's going on? You know, wow. I'm having to tell like my friend's parents like, oh, shit. In you know, are they going to be okay with me coming over, you know? Yeah. How old are you at this point? Uh, by this point, I was about 24. Okay. Yeah. This was like 2004 I got arrested. Uh -huh. And um, so Katrina had hit. You know, I'm fight, I am I gave up my car. Like, my car, I, I got a loan on it to get a lawyer because that's the, the main thing I was told was, like, I need to get a lawyer. I talked to some people. It's like, you need a lawyer, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, you're probably going to go to jail for some time. And, uh... I was hoping Katrina was going to push my case back, you know, because crazy, though, the, the lawyer situation, though, just, yeah. to, just to interrupt you real quick. Yeah. Like, it's like you get a, you pay thousands of dollars to a lawyer and all the lawyer does is show up and says something that you could have said. Yeah. It gets me a little plea and bargain then, and then gets you like on diversion yeah. or something. It's such a scam. But if you go by yourself and say the same things, they'll put you in jail, supposedly. Right. You know? Right. And it's such a scam. I mean, maybe like I, I wound up getting drug court, but I was thinking if I'd have went by myself, I could have probably served some time and then got drug court where yeah. he just got me straight drug court. Yeah. 
But um, dude, I tell you what, like fucking, I, I, I mean, I'm not like diminishing the effectiveness of a lawyer. Like my sister's friend was a lawyer, and he and he went out of his way for me, dude. And I remember, like he and he did it before I paid him. Wow. And then I didn't pay him for years. <laughs> yeah. I didn't pay him for years, and and then I finally paid him when I got sober. And I sent him a letter, and then like I, and I think I, I even spoke to him, and I sent him, and, and and I didn't pay it immediately when I got sober, but like, and then I finally talked to him, and I was like, and I wanted to, um, I tried to like, you know, I was thinking he was gonna be cool, mm-hmm. he didn't seem fucking, uh, he was not necessarily happy, he wasn't like me paying him, finally paying him the money years later, I'm talking about like, from '09. And to when I, you got sober, to when like it was like 2013, right. you know, um, and he uh, was. It was one of those situations where I thought like it would it would correct the issue, but I could tell he was still kind of not very happy. A little salty me. behind the issue, yeah, <laughs> which rightly so. Anyways, yeah. I'm sorry for interrupting, but um, yeah, I just uh, at this point I knew I had a problem. You know, I, I ran up about maybe 20 grand in credit card debt. All my money's going to getting loaded, and uh. You know, on these pills, like I, I would just buy, you know, I, I was snorting maybe six to seven eighties a day habit, you know, and uh, I get arrested and I'm just, they're postponing me going to trial, you know, um, Katrina hit, you know, I thought maybe I'd get off on that because my lawyer's like, well, if you don't go to trial within so many years, you know, it's past the statute of limitations, but I, inevitably I did go to trial, you know, and uh, I went meet him there. I was late. I was hungover. He told me to come in there clean. So I did because I was convincing him I couldn't go inpatient. My dad said I would not have a job if I had to go away for 30 days. They would not work with me again. Um, and uh, so I convinced him I didn't need that, you know, and I, I went in there hung over. You know, I stayed up the whole night before snorting oxys and went in there and um, they gave me drug court. And I went the first day and I had the mentality I was going to drink and not do these drugs. My problem is drugs. They're illegal. Keep going to jail for drugs. I don't have a problem with alcohol. You know, that was always like that last reservation I had. Let me just get back to drinking and I'll yeah. be all right, you know? And uh, I, I told the counselor that or whoever, the intake lady the first day, that I'm just going to drink and I'm not going to do these pills. She's like, oh, no, you can't do anything in here. You can't so much as take a Tylenol without calling us first. I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah, like, I don't play drug court, huh? I didn't know about it. It was new. This was like 05. I knew one dude that was on it, and he said yeah. it was a bitch, but I was like, nah, I'm going to make it because he's a little worse than I am, you know? And um, so what uh, I said, all right. I convinced him. Um, they wanted me. So I already had a Suboxone prescription. I would take Suboxone when I, if I didn't have anything. That was always like my last resort. I always had a bottle of that, you know? And uh, so she told me... Um, she made me sign a contract saying that if I relapsed, I had to take Suboxone, the entire drug court. I didn't want to take it. I said, I don't want to be on that. And, um, you know, and I'm not going to drink. I'm going to do it. And I, you know, I did it. I white knuckled it. I started going to meetings. You know, they sent us to meetings. And, uh, you know, uh, I really loved the meetings. This was my first time ever getting introduced to any AA or NA. And uh, I really, that's the only thing I could really do while I was in drug court. So I went to a meeting, like, a lot of times at lunch and in the evening. You know, sometimes two a day because I really enjoyed going to the meetings and the fellowship, you know, of the meetings. But I, uh, you know, I, I got a sponsor on paper, an N.A. sponsor and uh, never called them. You know, I had no desire to stop drinking. So I did more N.A. back then because I, I would share that in meetings. I don't want to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing these drugs, but I'll be able to drink. Yeah. 
you but know. They, but that doesn't fly in NA either. No, yeah. no, and they told me that it was like they were like, dude, well, you know, out. alcohol's dope too. <laughs> and they were like, you know, I remember this guy Sam in NA would tell me, the door's always open. If you yeah. make it back live, this door's always open for you. I remember that, yeah. you know, and um. I just wasn't willing, and I, you know, I stayed sober about six weeks in drug court, and I started drinking. I went out, started drinking, and uh, I had no intentions of drinking. I went to a little day party in the afternoon. Somebody was graduating college, and uh, I had two rock stars. You know, I drank those, and I just wasn't myself. I was around all these people from high school, and I, I didn't know how to interact sober. It sucks, yeah. you know. Like, so they had kegs of beer. I wound up drinking, and I, I didn't get in any trouble, you know. I didn't get caught on the drug test with it the next day because I knew they would test us for alcohol. And so what happened is um, after I drank, I had that Suboxone prescription the whole time just in my nightstand, you know, and I had no desire to take them. But my buddy said, well, if you don't need them for withdrawals, if you're not sick and you take them, you'll get loaded. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So I had been clean from opiates maybe six weeks by this point. So I took one and I really like... You know, I was able to talk, socialize, yeah. smoke cigarettes. So I, I did that the rest of drug court, too, where I was fine without it for six weeks and drank every chance I got. And um, it was just the court keeping me out, you know, keeping me moderating. You know, I really thought I was never going back to drugs. I meant it with all my heart. You know, my buddy came back from Iraq. He had went to the Marine Corps to straighten out his life. And I, I really told him, I was like, look, we started hanging out when he finished his tours. And I said, look, if you're going to go back and start hanging with these people and doing drugs, we can't be boys. I'm like, I'm not doing it. You know, I'll go out and drink with you. But like he did coke one night. And I was like getting into him, giving him this <laughs> advice like, I'm not going to be hanging with you. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as I got off a of drug court, I was back off to the races. And I didn't, I had no intention of doing that. You know, yeah. I just, that's me with no program. And then um, from that point, it got really dark. It was me, uh you know, I started doing things I said I would never do. You know, I, I got on the needle, started shooting up. That's one thing I swore I would never do. Um, I really, I started stealing from my employer. I was a delivery driver, and I had a gas card, a uh, company gas card, so I'd fill up my drug dealer's cars, you know, for a bag of dope. You know, by this time I'm doing heroin and Roxy's and whatever I could get. And um, it's just the shame and the guilt of, like, doing that you know I knew I was doing wrong and I knew this wasn't the guy my family raised me to be you know this it's not the person I am it goes against my morals and my beliefs but I do it anyway just because when I wake up sick and the only thing I could think about is changing the way I feel yeah. finding a way to not be sober you know and um my life was just getting really going in a dark place I got involved with meth you know, I started shooting meth up. You know, a lot of the guys I was hanging with started cooking that. And uh, then came times where I'm checking myself in the treatment. You know, I said, look, I got a problem. I need help. I wrote my dad a letter. You know, I told a buddy I needed help. They got my insurance card. They called up because I had been up about seven, eight days. And I couldn't, I couldn't really read it. They got me in, you know, talking to a rehab. They, you know, the rehab people, I gave them my aunt's number in Chicago. They called her on three-way. She paid for a plane ticket. And um, I was leaving at 6 a.m. straight to rehab to Oklahoma. I went home, packed a bag. My buddy's watching me, and I wrote my dad a letter. and said, look, I'm going to rehab. You know, I need help. You know, I love you. I'm, I want to make you proud, and um, I want to be the man that you raised me to be, you know? I was really emotional. I'd been up a while. I wasn't in my right mind. But I, I meant that, you know, and I went away to rehab, 
for six months it was Scientology based. It wasn't twelve step based. Sweet man, that's yeah. so awesome. Dude. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great, dude. I was like, was... they used to have a joke that you would get a. a a box set of Tom Cruise DVDs when you graduate. Oh, right. That was the running joke. <laughs> Did they do the thing where you grab the sticks? Mm. No, we had an ashtray thing. An ashtray yeah, thing? Yeah, and they would have... The, the weirdest thing we would do was a bull bait. They would set you up with a twin. My twin was this girl, Elsa, from Florida. Uh-huh. And um, we were twins. So, like, in order to pass one of these courses, both of you had to pass. So... As soon as you go in there, in withdrawal, I went to the detox part. I wasn't alcohol or benzos. It wasn't met. Well, if you were alcohol or benzos, they would sip you somewhere else first, like a little hotel that they, you know, renovated. And then you would come to the facility. I was just heroin and meth. So I went straight to the facility. I didn't know what I was. This is my first experience with rehab inpatient. You know, I did drug court and IOP. And I get that. I've been up eight days. I don't really know what's going on. And uh, so I'm in this detox program, and it was about 10 of us in there. And they would feed us dinner, and they would all make us do a TR, uh, eyes closed, which is you would have to sit in a chair, knee to knee. We, I would have to sit with somebody else that's in detox with me, knee to knee, and we would have to sit upright, perfectly still and quiet with our eyes closed for 15 minutes. This is like day one in, re- in detox. <laughs> and if, if you got to start over if you keep failing. Wow. The problem is the person you're doing it with, they, uh, if you fail, they fail too, and you got to keep uh, doing it over and over and over. I guess it's, I don't know, it's, it's like weird make, shit. Like, I guess to keep you accountable to your peer. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I, uh, oh man. What happened was I had ate, I ate dinner. I was finally able to eat something. I had sores in my mouth from like blisters from dehydration and uh, chewing. And once I ate, all that meth kicked back up again. Like I got the nutrients in my body, and all of a sudden I got jacked up. You know, yeah. I started running around and I was acting crazy. Wow. And they find, huh? yeah, yeah. It was it was great. One of the dudes said that though. He's like, "Yeah, I've seen that." You know, there's a lot of meth in Oklahoma. Yeah, one of the OGs was like, yeah. oh, "I've seen it happen before." Yeah, and they made <laughs> us. Um, I remember this girl Jordan I met. We we were in de- this detox thing, and you don't they don't release you out of this detox bubble. You don't get sugar while you're in there. You don't get any caffeine, um, and you cannot leave that little area of the facility. Once you graduate detox, they'll bring you on a tour. Like, they'll walk you through with some uh-huh. people that work there, and you'll see all the other people hanging out. They had pool tables and, you know. Uh, Is everybody wearing, like, white garments? No, it was whatever. I just you imagine, know. like, white garments no. and, uh, I know, think I linen. I just, linen. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. I think I was rocking, like, an affliction shirt and some Aww. bedazzled jeans see, at this dis- point. That's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I was full of affliction, diesel sandals, and just very like soft-spoken folk. No, it know? was it was two hundred and twenty of us had to peak. It was like a it was that's crazy. It's huge. Yeah. Scientology, man. But <laughs> do so. I had to sit here. I'm high on this meth. It re kicked up on me, and me and Jordan had to do our eyes open in order to go smoke a cigarette or something. And wow. she's like, "I cannot do this. Look at his eyes. I'm freaking bugging. I'm wide I- open and like." It was just, we, we used to have to do weird, you would have to sit knee to knee with another person you just met and stare at them with your eyes open, and she just kept laughing the whole time because wow. I was making these faces, like, that's hard to do. Yeah. And by the end of it, by like book three or four, in order to pass, me and this girl Elsa, we, we, you'd have to do it two hours, two hours without a noise or sound. 
what? without a bathroom break in order to pass to go. Yeah, it was weird That's stuff. That's insane. And dude. they said, this is how you stay sober. Wow. And me and the boys, we were in there and I said, man, that AA shit don't work. NA don't work. I've done that before. Yeah, you know, it it's doesn't all work. About that Scientology yeah, we was dog. All, they had me stay. <laughs> they had me stare at a fifth of Crown Royal for like three days in one class until the counselor or the. The core, they called them a soup, core supervisor, ah. until they said I was flat and I could move on to the next drug. So then they bring you like a syringe with no needle and a little spoon, and I'd have to stare at that for a couple of days. Damn. I, yeah, dude, it was. That's crazy. I loved it, though. I, this was my, I mean, I can see, I, can, I, I loved could, it. I can see, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know what those methods do, but I mean, I could see them being, like, helpful in some yeah. sense. Yeah, they, know they know had beach I mean? volleyball there. They had sand oh, volleyball, volleyball we played. Fucking a. That we saw, say, we watched, uh, we listened to the Pink Floyd, the Dark Side of the Moon. They had a meteor shower one night, and we laid out on this hill. And, I mean, it was, I had some beautiful experiences while I was in there. Wow. You know, I gained, I, I went in at 171. I came out at about 260. Like, they fed you. Oh, they had no great sugar. food. Huh? No, no sure. once you're in detox, you don't have. As soon as you get out the detox program, and you go to like the regular rehab, all the sugar you want. Oh, see, yeah. I'll see. I don't like them now. Why did you get me? Just hey, they had this dude, this little uh, Talbert. I I remember all these names. He was like a little tweaker dude from Texas, man. And he come in there and it's he had crazy. A, you remember their names? He had a suitcase <laughs> full of uh, Snickers bars. And another suitcase full of Coca-Cola. And they, they took it all and he bitched the whole oh, man, come on, bro. Let me out. I'm signing my 72. Yeah, because he said he couldn't kick without his Snickers balls. Oh. And they wouldn't give you nothing. They wow. sh- yeah. But um, yeah, so that was my experience with that. I thought it was gonna work. And uh I knew I had to make it right though. They had this thing, it was similar to what we do in a 12-step program or what I've done in AA is uh, you know, a four-step where you do an inventory. Mm. They had this thing called overts where you would write down, you'd make a list and you had to write down everything you overtly did to tell somebody else, you know, like bring everything that's in the dark to light, basically. You know, so I said, okay, I stole all this money and I had to um, turn it into my core soup, you know, and then, uh, you know, I told him, I was like, I really need to pay this money back to my old job. I really felt bad about it. I had a lot of shame and guilt. He's like, you probably don't want to do that because they probably put you in jail. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So I didn't, you know, and then he told me I needed to call my dad and tell him one person that I was not allowed to hang out with when I got home. And I knew that person was my buddy Chase because every time like we'd go get together, we'd go off and get loaded, you know, and, you know, I acted like I went and made the phone call and called my dad, but I didn't, you know, I played like a fake phone call because I was like, no, he's probably the only one that'll come pick me up when I get home. I'm a, I want to hang out with Chase, you know, and I got out and, um, I thought a 12-pack of Bud Light Platinum would be all right. You know, um, uh, you know, I got out and uh, I said, I'm not going to do any drugs. I went and got a 12-pack of Bud Light Platinum. Uh, my dad brought me around to pay, get my license back. I got my job back. I didn't make the amends for it. You know, I didn't tell him anything. He brought me around to all the DMVs and the different parishes around here. I paid all this money, like four grand, got my driver's license reinstated, had my ID, you know, and he gave me the keys to his Mustang saline and said, here, go out, you know, you can take it, you know, because I didn't have a car. Yeah. So I go get a 12-pack of beer, and I'm parties back on. No consequences. You know, I start back work Monday. It's yeah. Life is great, you know. And uh, from that point, it really got dark. You know, like it, it, every time I've getting, gotten sober, those, you know, intervals, brief periods of sobriety, still followed by always worse relapse. Yeah. I mean, I, I stayed sober uh, two days, 
I stayed out there on this last run from, um, I think it was April to August. Uh-huh. That was my last run, yeah. you know. And uh, and then you wound up in, in treatment. And back in treatment, yeah. And right. then eventually got sober. Um, and this last run, it was uh, me just um, not bathing much, you know, um, just living in squalor, you yeah. know, like really just depressed, fantasizing about suicide. Like I made a video one time and was telling my family like what I'm doing. It was more like a cry for help than actually trying to kill myself. Did you send it? No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I came to the next day and I didn't send it. No. I'm shoplifting. You know, now like just stealing from my company's not enough and my paycheck's not enough. I'm shoplifting up and down the highway, every Home Depot, Lowe's, Academy, all these stores, you know, and uh I just I was hopeless, you know, and uh I'm I'm with a buddy who's sober now too. We're in his house getting loaded. And uh, he doesn't have any lights. His electricity's cut off. His house is getting foreclosed on. It's just me, him, and his dog shooting dope, you know. And he's like, man, uh, he had been sober before, and he was doing good. That's how he got the house and all that. You know, he had went to treatment and was doing AA, and he quit doing it. And uh, he said, man, I'm going to detox in the morning. You should come with me. And that gave me just a little bit of hope, you know, a little bit of hope, you know. And right before that happened, uh the the thing that catapulted me to get sober was really I went to my dad because we we never talked much we had a surfacey relationship I went to him and I said dad I need some money I had no other options I'm dope sick it's in the morning I'm supposed to be at work at eight I'm kind of catching him at the door before he leaves to go out on his sales calls you know at seven and I said I need three hundred bucks he's like for what and I was like for a doctor you know I was gonna go to a doctor to get something you know to help me maintain. And he gives me the money. He's like, don't you have insurance? I was like, it ain't that kind of doctor, you know. And uh, he gave me the money, and I went and scored heroin, you know. And I go back the next morning. Dad, I need money. And he said, for what? And I remember I told him, I was like, I didn't know what else to say. It was like one of those moments of truth. I just said heroin. And he, I remember he looked at the ground and started crying. And he said, how much do you need? And I said, just 40 bucks, you know. And he gave me the 40 bucks. And I, I never talked about that. Like, me and my dad never talked like that, yeah. you know. Like, and then to tell you, you know, you're dead, you're on heroin. Like, that's, you know. That's intense. The next morning, I did the same thing. And he said, look, I don't know who you are anymore. You're dead to me, though. He's like, you're not my son. You need to pack a bag and get out of this house. And that was the best thing that happened to me. You know, he saved my life that day. He he truly did. You know, if you'd have kept, if I still had that hustle and that last play where I could live there and not pay any bills, yeah. and work for that company and steal from that company, um, eat his food, and just do whatever I want to do, I'd have never got sober. I, you know, I know that today. Yeah. You know, and um, so, yeah, that uh, uh, that catapulted me to, to go to detox. All right. So detox, and we'll take a break, um, get some beverages. Yeah. Stretch Finish this bit, coffee. And we'll be right back. Um, all right, so yeah, um, catapulted. Your dad set the hard boundary, which is necessary. It's very necessary. You know, uh, God bless your dad. Your dad. He got. I think the lady he worked with, Miss Ann. I think she was really, you know, she was a church lady. She, you know, she believed in God. She was, you know, she was a kind lady, but she was smart too, though. And 
she finally talked sense into him and was like, Jim, you're killing him. You know, because I had talked to her after, and she's like, yeah, I told you, you're killing him. You got to do something. You got to do something. And finally, I think enough was enough, you know? Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Thank so God. So they both saved my that. life. Yeah. Yeah. Angel. You know, well, definitely. Well. Um, if he didn't do that, I don't think I'd be here. As yeah. long as I had that last hustle, I would not be here. All my other bridges were burned. Wow. And I got tired of shoplifting every day, you know? Um, my truck was repossessed. You know, I had the work van, you know, right, right then and there. He fired me. You know, I turned in the work van key, so I didn't have access to get around anymore, you yeah. know. And uh, my buddy got into detox. I couldn't because I had insurance still, and uh, I didn't know what else to do, so I called my dad back, and he, he let me back in the house to detox until I got a bed. And um, a guy I work with, uh, he, was, he, he was in AA at the time, you know, and another person that's an angel that God put into my life to save my life. He... Uh, you know, he knew what happened. He worked at the company, and um, there was only five of us and employees. So what he was doing, I didn't. I'm I'm kicking dope at my dad's. I'm sick. I'm not picking up the phone. I'm throwing up and vomiting and going to the bathroom about every thirty minutes. You know, for five days it felt like it was the worst detox I've ever had. But he was calling all these treatment centers trying to get me in somewhere. These detox centers, you know, and uh, like the hand of AA was there. You yeah. know, and I remember he's like. This girl called me. She's like, she called me out the blue. I'm thinking somebody's calling me up that maybe got some dope or something, you know? Like, I'm like, this strange number. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's like, hey, yeah, I got your number from Mark. My name's whatever. You know, I, I've been calling all these treatment centers and I found you a bed. This is like day three or four of me detoxing. And who is this? This is uh, a friend of uh, some. A lady in, in recovery. The, but did she work in the feet in like that kind of field? Or no, anything? she was just in AA or wh- whatever. Doing, Mark knew her from the from the rooms. Just doing. Just just yeah, doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yeah. You nice. know, and um it was in Shreveport and she was like, Look, we're gonna come, we're gonna pick you up, and we're gonna drive you to Shreveport. And I, I was I just thought to myself, I was like, There's no way in my condition, like I'm on the toilet every twenty minutes. I can't hold down any food or water. I'm vomiting like yellow green vial i'm not riding a shreveport in this condition you know and i said nah no thanks i'm all right and um you know next day goes by and i'm in the morning i'm trying to call friends to see if somebody will come give me something for free give me a ride but none of them are doing anything for me they're not even answering and you know halfway through the day i give up and i just kind of lay in bed and my dad would bring me some food and uh i try to eat that I mean, it was it was really dark, you know. He even gave me all my needles back at one point. I was detoxing so bad, I had a box of needles, and he gave them back. And I was like, I don't even have dope. But like for him to disown me a few days ago and then see how much I'm suffering and give me a, a I don't know, it was just, it was something that blew my mind that he would actually give them back to me. Yeah, it's weird, but yeah. And um, so what happened is Mark calls me, and he's like, look, I got you a bed in Revokes. You want to go? And I hesitated because my last paycheck, my direct deposit, was hitting that day. Ooh. This was like day five. Direct. I had already called a taxi cab, and um, let's just say, you, so you ended up in treatment, right? I ended up, yeah. So I, I, I ended <laughs> up in detox finally. Okay, we there. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> I got in, you know, and uh, the, the, my motivation to go to detox was Mark said he would bring me to go score one last time. That was the only reason I went, you know. So I get in and uh, I'm in this detox center and uh, 
this guy that was a, like an intake marketing guy for this treatment center kept coming. And he's like, yeah, you know, we take your insurance. You need to come to treatment here. And I was like, what kind of place is it? And he said, it's 12 step base. And I said, man, that shit don't work. You know, I was going to go back to the Narconon that I had been before in Oklahoma. Cause they would take me back for free. If you relapse within two years or something, it was some kind of thing. That, that was the Scientology. Yeah. I th- I, my plan was, I was going to go back there and do it yeah. right this time. I was going to stay there and work after. And yeah. like a lot of people did. And it, uh, for a lot of people I saw, it did work. And you know? when they stayed, then they got the white linen yeah. clothes. Yeah. Good. And, uh, <laughs> I love white linen. Um, so I go to this treatment center, you know, and, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm hopeless. I'm beat up. I don't have a clue, you know? And, uh, you know, I got back on the, the Suboxone and they gave me that there and, um, you know, which is fine. Like I, you know, a lot of people have opinions on that, but like for me, you know, I was sick, they prescribed it to me. And, um, so I go to treatment and, uh, the man, the man that picked me up from River Oaks would later on would become my sponsor, which is kind of funny, but, uh, I'm in this treatment center, right? And, uh, you know, I, I just, we're going to meetings again. They're taking, they're driving us to meetings. We're going to groups, you know, and it's, it was really fun. You know, I was cutting up and, uh, my, you know, my roommate was like 19 years old. So whatever he thought was cool, I thought was cool. And I, I'm just doing that chameleon thing. Like I do in treatment, trying so to be the he, cool guy, Yeah, he was but I'm 19 not the cool and you, guy. And you were 34, 34, 34, you know, and, um, it was just, uh, treatment was really fun at first. Um, you know, they, they brought us to a lot of meetings. Uh, what happened was I, t- I wanted to get in a sober living house, and I knew I had to get off of this medicine in order for me to get in. At that time, you couldn't get into it. So I told the doctor, taper me off. I've been on this shit since 05. Anyway, off and on, I, I want to do it for real this time and be sober. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't want to be on anything because it's never worked. For me, it's never worked. You know, for some people, I see it has. Um, so I got... I guess there was some pressure from the, some of the guys in treatment I was with to get a sponsor because they started getting sponsors and their sponsors would show up and they were talking about like, uh, their sponsor would like, um, you know, they would get a pass. They would go to a meeting, ride with their sponsor instead of riding in a big user cruiser with 15 of us. Like, uh, it's a good thing you're a follower. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm following. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Finally, if the following is paying off. So I wanted to be part of that cool crowd that, okay, we have a sponsor. We're doing this thing. I wanted to be part of that now, yeah. you know? So I, I got a sponsor. He was sponsoring my roommate, uh, or not my roommate, but one of my buddies in treatment. And uh, they were coming to do this big book study where they come and read the AA basic text. You know, we refer to it as the big book, the blue book, you know? Um, and it, they would come read it on Sundays. And it was just, you know, it was the boringest shit ever, I guess. You know, I, but I, I saw this guy showing up. And he, uh, he was cool. He was down to earth. He had tattoos and, uh, you know, he had been to treatment where I had been before and he, you know, he's real down to earth guy. So I, we started meeting up, reading, I asked him to be my sponsor and, uh, you know, I joined my home group and, um, he was part of the same home group still is today. And, um, you know, he would bring me back after the meeting, we would mop the floors after, and, uh, he would bring me back to the treatment center for like 10 instead of me getting back for nine fifteen on the bus, I'd get, be able to stay out till 10, 10 30 with him. And it was cool. And, um, but he would tell me things like I needed to, uh, talk to other alcoholics, I pray in the mornings, pray at night. I, I wasn't willing to do anything, you know, really besides read the book with him when he came and go to meetings. And, um, 
I didn't, I wasn't even sold. I was an alcoholic. I thought maybe I'm more of a drug addict. I didn't see how anything in this stupid little book that I'm highlighting and reading is going to keep me sober. And, um, I fell in love with a girl in treatment. She had like five days. Nice. Yeah. And uh, solid recovery. Solid. You know, and she came in, linked up. She had a boyfriend from River Oaks that she met in detox. He got kicked out and I swooped right in. Oh, you nice. know, and uh, all my energy went to her. And um, what happened was the f- my roommate, uh, they had some Kratom. You know, people were talking about Kratom. He's like, you ever heard of this Kratom? I never heard of that shit. I wouldn't do that shit. I'm a heroin addict, though. And, uh, but he's like, man, they got this Kratom. And he's like, people in AA are doing it. And I said, who? And he named like one person uh-huh. in AA that's doing it. People in AA probably do a lot of things, you know, I don't know about. But it, I don't know. This guy, yeah, he goes, um, what, you know, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. That's a relapse. The next day he comes back and he said, look, I took some and get you loaded. I said, let's go get it. You know, <laughs> I had no defense. Yeah. You know, and that's really my bottom was uh, me being in treatment. I paid five grand. I took my 401k money from my job when I finally got fired. I paid five grand for treatment and the other five grand I blew on Kratom, like a two month binge on Kratom every day. Five grand. Five grand. Kratom. I was taking the Holy mojo. Shit. Mojo. Elephant. Pimp grade Kratom. Oh. Mojo's a brand, huh? It was a brand of Kratom, yeah. Yeah, Mojo. Cause like, I guess Mojo was like the first synthetic weed that came yeah. out. So yeah. like, so yeah, it, it was the brand. So, so right. yeah, so everybody was like, just called it Mojo. And it was horrible. Like, it'd make you gassy yeah. and have to go drop a deuce. And just <laughs> what, the, the Kratom? Kratom, yeah. yeah. I was taking like 60 Kratom pills a day. You oh, know, 20, 60 fucking Kratom 20 pills. 20 in the morning, 20 at lunch, and 20 in the evening. And that's what I got up to. Yeah. It was I horrible. Rem- yeah, I remember. I took it for a little while, and, and it kind of. <laughs> It kind of does a little something. But you got to take so many of those pills. I guess it depends on what you're getting. The phenomenon and craving that we like to talk about did develop, though. Yeah. I took it once, and I went back every day. Yeah. You know, and um, by this time, I told the doctor, I tapered off the Suboxone. You know, I was taking it even when I was on the Suboxone. I don't think it was doing anything. But I tapered off at the same time. And uh, the plan was I was going to get off of that. But I just, I was tired of being full of shit. I was picking up chips in meetings, you know, saying I was sober. Chips, really, chips like... Sobriety chips, like, like clean the, chips. Like saying, uh, I got a two month. month. Yeah, I, pick up a I had month a month. Chip. I relapsed right after a month. You yeah. know, so two month was phony, three month. I'm posting on Facebook, yeah. 90 days Check sober. Check y'all doing the deal, ch- turning yeah. it over. Yeah, and, every, and it, I'm not New even leaf. sober. I'm, <laughs> I'm turning over them Kratom <laughs> leaves. I felt like shit, man. It sucked. <laughs> and that was my bottom is like, I've been in all these programs to treat my alcoholism, and I haven't been sober in any of them, you know? Yeah. Um, I've relapsed and I'm up probation, drug court, and here again in this treatment center that I check myself into because I don't know how to live. You know, I'm, I'm, isn't that crazy? I'm close to death. And then all your 401k out, you pay half of it and then you waste the rest. That's insane. (laughs) And I bought a pair of Jordans too. Okay. Well, it wasn't all lost. No, I had one pair of J's. J's are always worth it. (laughs) But, um, I don't know. I was just, I was tired of being phony. You know, my dad was really supporting me coming to family group, picking me up on pass. We're going out to eat and, I Did just, your dad notice that you were wearing flat uh, bill hats? Yeah, and, I changed my whole state. He's like, I, oh, you like hats now, huh? He bought uh, me like this hat thing for the door where you could hang like oh, 20 man, hats on the door. Dad, your dad's a sweetheart, yeah, bro. He's, yeah. Fucking, he's, was, <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> so what had happened was I just, I graduated treatment, not sober. Um, I'm in transitional living, which is a sober living place. And uh, they had this guy 
So let me go in. I'm going to try to make the story kind of quick, you know, but his, his name was Tim, Timothy. And uh, early when I was in treatment, they moved him in. They said, look, they moved him in. He was my roommate. I had nobody there, and they moved him in, and he's he's a big guy, like 6'6", six, six, 300 pounds, like my size, you know, And but he's dressed like a, I don't know, he looks like a Viking kind of. He's cra- He's not like me. He's not He's not thug life, you know? He's different. He's like and I was afraid. The you know? Viking life. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, man, who is this dude? And um, so I try to make him feel welcome. Look, here's some coffee. Feel free. You want some food? Because he's coming right. in first day. Don't murder me. Yeah, don't please. murder me. So the next day, he's, uh, and he's really socially awkward. I could tell that, you know, and um, just, we talked a little bit. So I, I wake up the next morning, I'm drinking coffee. And he's like, hey, I got to tell you something. I'm like, what? He's like, so I had a vision last night. Oh, not, not a dream, a vision. I'm like, okay. You got my interest. I'm like, okay. And he's like, you were laying in bed sleeping covered in blood and i was standing over you with a bloody dagger and he's like doing the like standing over me with a bloody dagger like holding his hands up and i'm thinking what the fuck so i said man that's fucking crazy i left straight out the apartment and i go tell you have to i go tell the authority (laughs) staff member y'all gotta get this crazy motherfucker up out of here i'm not living with him i made a big old scene he's gonna stab me he got and they're like no no he's harmless i'm like no so they move us yeah and i i don't really mess with this dude the rest of treatment i'm i'm on guard and he would do like uh, tarot cards and readings he had uh, crystals and a healing stick he would like do these things with like new people come in or that would uh-huh. want him to do it and he that's what he he was a healer you know he was he believed he was a healer and i think he had a messiah complex you know um but so what happened is uh <laughs> i graduate anyway this is two three months later that's i'm in transitional living my counselor goes hey we got to move somebody down there we want to know if it, you'd be okay with it i said who and he said timothy and i was like well yeah, I, I've come to realize he's harmless. You know, you can move him in with me. And I never let him do any of those readings on me, any of that healing work. You know, I kind of just make fun of him to all the other guys. So the first night he's moving in the apartment, I have the idea, okay, I'm going to let him do it just to break the ice. Let's do the rune reading, which is like a Norwegian kind of rock. And uh, so he's he's lit up. He gets to do it. He puts on this meditation kind of Icelandic music. Is he, he, sets, like, is he, sets he from the, there? Is, did he have an accent? He had roots from there, but no, oh. no, he's from Metairie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Metairie. <laughs> Probably the Bywater now, somewhere out here. Um, yeah. But, um, like a... Yeah, yeah. And so he, he lays out the table and it, so he says, grab, grab, you know, three of those stones out, place them down and I'll tell you what they mean. So I place them down right on the thing and he's, he's got his little book and he looks them up. He says, all right, so this says you're about to embark on a new journey in life, but you're not going to move forward until you let go of this secret that you're holding on to. And I'm like, holy shit, he knows. Uh, he, like, this is it. This is, and it was just one of these leaps of faith, crazy experience. God put this guy in my life, like many others, uh-huh. and I was able to tell him, look, Timothy, I got something to tell you. I'm not sober this whole time. Like, I have Kratom upstairs right now. And I haven't been sober. And this is what this reading means. Is like, once I put down this Kratom, I'm going to go on this new journey. Dude, like, right there, Timothy dude, was ecstatic. His eyes light up. He's his like, jaw drops. Oh, Holy shit, verified. this shit works. <laughs> this shit works. This shit yes, works. yes, this shit works. Oh, man. God, Timothy. Dude, his, he saved my life. He really is a healer, yeah, bro. He yeah. really, dude. He, Have I don't you seen know. him since? Uh, 
Now, I've talked to him. You need to tell him you yeah. saved your life. I tried getting him some help one time, and he just yeah. wanted to take a shower. And I was like, well, oh. I wasn't in a place where I could just let him come take a shower at <laughs> my house. Man. But um, so I said, look, I got Kratom upstairs. We're going to go up there. You're going to watch me flush him down the toilet right now. Oh. And he said, no, better yet. You can give me the Kratom as payment for the rune reading. So basically, this dude jacked me out of my pills, and I've been sober ever since. Wow. He was going to give them to some girl in the Jackson Square that he liked, that liked the pills. And what I was like, the story of my life, you know, giving a girl something, trying to get something. Timothy, you know? man. And he, uh, <laughs> so that, that saved my life. And that had nothing, uh. to, but it, that was an experience for me of getting rigorously honest with one person yeah. just about one thing, just about that secret. And that's big. Like, I thought, you're not, I wasn't in recovery when I'm not sober this whole time. And nobody really knew. And I told him, and my life kind of... Just that one moment of, of, it, of honesty. Yeah, it exploded from big, there. Yeah, A big awesome. relief. Whoa. And um, so what happened is uh, I was going around kind of... I had I was, I was, had a few people that were reading the book with me. My first sponsor had relapsed. I was scared to tell him that I, I wasn't sober. And uh, another guy was coming to read the book with me. I kind of... I wasn't doing, I was on my four step and I wasn't doing any writing. So what happened, I'll give a shout out to Brent. He's been on the show. He worked at the treatment center I was in and he left there and we were part of the home group. We were close. You know, I, I looked at him as like a really lame ass sober dude. Um, I mean, he is that. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time <laughs> I was like, man, but he was cool though, too. He was cool. Yeah, no, no, yeah. that's shot fired. We love Brent. Yeah, we love him. You know, <laughs> but it, like being in treatment, I was like, man, yeah, who's this dude? You know, but he, he would always ask me, how's that four step coming? How's that four step coming? Ah, and this was like for six months, you know? And, um, so he moved on to a different job and he's like, look, I'm going to come over Saturday. Uh, can I have a look at your four step? I'm going to help you with it. Yeah, sure. He shows up, you know, and he, he sees what I got and he sits me down and I just start writing. And he's, if I had questions, you know, like I'm on resentments, you know, resentful at dad, the reason why. And he's helping me like, you know, well, I was resentful at my dad f for this, you know. Okay, giving me examples. I was writing down, doing the for, fourth column. For loving you? Yeah, for loving me. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, for, for giving me $300 to go get heroin. I'm buying you off. a hat rack. Yeah, 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 dude, I, he was top of the list, my dad. Wow. He really was, you know, like he didn't talk to me. Hmm. You know, he talked to the dog more than me. And, hmm. But the, re, the truth of it was that I saw in the fourth column is that I wasn't there to have a relationship yeah. with him. I'm ripping and running, and he did kind of let me do whatever I wanted as a kid. Oh, Dad, I'm going to spend the night out. Okay. You know, I guess I was resentful because he wasn't the one like, oh, I, you know, where are you going? Like, yeah. you know, either way, I would have been resentful at him. Yeah, exactly. You know? If it had been tough on you, right. you know, your dad was just doing the best he could. That's it. And I realized, you know, mom was up there. She was number two. You know, uh, I resented her because um, I felt like she abandoned me. Um, and, and what I realized is she's she's probably sick, too. You know, like she drank. She, you know, did some drugs. I realized I if I'm mad at her, maybe she just, she never found this way of life, yeah. you know? Like, so I can't hate on mom. You know, she tried, she tried to be in my life. I was the one that didn't have communication with her. And, um, so I, I swallowed some of those chunks of truth about myself doing that. And I did, you know, I told him my fears and, uh, the sexual inventory, everything I'd wrote down, you know, like what I did is he told me he was going to come by the next week and have my inventory done and I could share it with him. He would listen to my fifth step. And uh, I said, does that mean you're my sponsor? And he said, no, I'm just going to listen to your fifth step. 
I'll be your sponsor, but it doesn't mean I'm your sponsor. You could, you know, I'm just going to help you to, and do this fifth step with you. Cool. So I told him everything, but I, he shared some things with me after. And he shared some stories with me of some things he did, some really embarrassing things that you wouldn't want anybody else to know. And what that did is that propelled me to share some things with him that I didn't write down that I wasn't going to share. Those worst items yeah. in the inventory. But by this, you had already... You had already shared about the Kratom tone? No, no, no. I shared that after. He shared a story with me uh-huh. about uh, his experience. I don't know. Maybe God just told him to share that. But I told yeah. him, look, man, I said, look, I haven't been sober this whole time. You know, I've got maybe two months sober right now. I had been taking Kratom. I, nobody knew but Timothy, you yeah. know? And so sharing it to Timothy made it that much easier to share it with my sponsor. And Timothy kept fucking secret. Yeah, yeah. And... um. I felt, I felt, you know, I felt relief after I did my fifth step. I, sh- I shared those embarrassing sexual things and uh, the criminal things and all that. And um, I really, he told me to meditate for an hour. Some more things came to my mind. I called him up on the phone, told him those. He kind of just said, all right, you know, and I felt different, man. I was like laughing for the first time. I went to a meeting that night and I made amends, you know, to the meet. I picked up an eight month ship there the week before and I said, look, I just did my fifth step. I haven't been sober this whole time. I've got whatever it was, I think three months. But Ooh. this is my new, honest sobriety date. And yeah. From there, things took off. What a weight off yeah. your chest that must have been. That was That's where recovery began for me when I finally got honest. Stop living a lie. Yeah. To thy own self be true, you know. Yeah. And it just it took off, and I could feel connected to the people in the rooms. Like every it, Before, it was me and all of them. And then after I did that fifth step, like the book says, I could look them in the eyes. I felt connected to everybody else in the rooms that was had done that step or, you know, moved past it. Yeah. I just, I felt a sense of connection. And, um, you know, six and seven were very brief. You know, um, I'm kind of, you know, skimming through the steps. But I guess, you know, the third step, me and him just, we knelt and prayed and did that fourth and fifth yeah. step. And uh, so I had my amends list and I balked at amends for a while. The first one I did was with my father and... um I had like three chances to do it, and I was scared. And finally, I just said, Dad, can we mute? It was the LSU-Alabama game. And I said, can we, can we mute the game or turn it off for a second? I need to talk. Sure. You know, and I said, look, I, you know, you, you've been great to me. You know, you raised me. You did everything for me. You gave me every opportunity, you know. And I was, I've been a bad son, you know. You gave me a job. I, you know, I stole from the job. You know, I told them about the gas card. They never knew about that. All the money I stole, you know, I pawned your weed eater. I stole the change out your room. I was just selfish. I never asked how you were doing, you know. I just did my own thing, you know. And I said, you know, I want to be your son. How can I make this right to you? And he's like, he gave me kind of the, what you hear a lot. I just want you to stay sober, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, Don't worry about the weed eater and the change out of my room. Uh, and I said, well, what about the gas? Cause it's not his company. He was just a local manager, mm-hmm. you know? And he's like, well, they don't know about it in California. They never said anything. And I don't know if they'll hire you back. His dream was always that he was going to retire and I would take over the company. Yeah. And you know, and I said, dad, look, you know, it doesn't matter if I get the job back or not. I don't think I'm going to stay sober if I don't pay this money back to them. I said, I tried it the last time I didn't pay it back and I got loaded. And right now I just, I need you know, I need to pay this money back before anything. He said, all right, I'll give you permission to do it. You know, because I didn't want his job to well, be yeah, affected. Because, yeah, it makes sense. See, I never realized that, I mean, I've heard the story before, but like I never realized that 
I guess I knew you worked for your dad, but I don't know. Yeah. It was weird. For years, and I just did whatever I wanted. You know, I forged yeah. deliveries, stole from the con- I was, you know, just got loaded every day. Yeah. Drove loaded every day. And um, so I, I called the company and was able to make arrangements to pay them back, you know. And they said, look, we just want you to keep doing what you're doing. You know, we'll arrange, arrange the best deal I could with them. And I agreed to pay them back 150 a month till it was paid off. And so once I started doing some of these amends, by the time I did those two amends, I, I feel God, God's in my life now. I got a connection. I've experienced something. I've tapped into this power. I don't know what it is, how to describe it, but I feel good, you know, mm-hmm. and I like this recovery. So I'm, I'm going to do some more amends, you know, and, um, you know, I flew to Texas. I visited my mom and my grandmother for the first time. I hadn't seen my mother in like 10 years, wow. you know, and, um, I, I went out there and spent the weekend with them, made amends to all of them, told her I loved her. You know, and I realized she wanted a relationship with me. She didn't have my number for years, you know. She would come in town, and I, I wasn't doing good, so I wouldn't go around her. And then, uh, you know, um, a lot of people say the financial amends are the easier ones. You know, in my experience, none of them are very easy. Um, you know, I, I had one that was really bothering me that I'd stole about five grand from this store academy. And I was talking to people about it praying about it you know I was a big tweaker so I'd steal like a lot of flash lives and throwing knives and trade my drug dealer basketball shorts and shoes from this store I robbed them good for like the last two or three months I was what would you do with the throwing knives throw them <laughs> <laughs> I had a collection of throwing, of throwing knives, knives bull eyes these I got like flashlights at like 150 dollar uh, flat like I was a serious tweaker yeah dude I'd, I'd sit there darts yeah, throwing knives tweakers. at the dartboard what is it like that sounds like some shit like I know my just meth I know some tweakers that they're in this shit like that yeah like most tweakers like knives camping rope camping yeah. rope cool like shit tying it into yeah. weird knots and it's just a waste of time <laughs> but it's, you're totally into it though yeah. you know when you're doing it it's the best thing ever you yeah. know I'm gonna master these throwing knives and um <laughs> So I went, though, and somebody drove me in the program. They prayed with me. We did a mm-hmm. job, and it paid 200 cash. I've been talking about this amends, and he's like, well, how about I drive you over there, and I'll pray with you. I'll go yeah. with you. So that gave me the strength to do it. And we prayed, and I went in and told him what I was trying to do. And uh, the lady, um, I told her, I'm, you know, I'm in AA. I stole about five grand worth of stuff from this store, and I'm trying to, you know, make it right. And she said, oh, that's over my pay grade. You got to call this guy, the loss prevention guy. And um uh of uh of the store so i called him told him what i was trying to do and he he hadn't experienced anything like it he said he had to call corporate you know and uh so he called corporate and he said yeah he called me back the next day and he said yes they said sometimes they'll get letters in the mail people send 20 bucks 40 bucks you know saying they took something and they want to make it right but he's like i've never experienced anything like this amount coming in he's like i really need to meet you can you meet me at the store tomorrow morning at 9 a.m oh that's terrifying yeah yeah Yeah. so i'm like oh shit i might go to to jail yeah Yeah. and you always hear in the rooms for maximum effectiveness doing face to face if you can yeah you know so i go you know i suit up and show up that's what aa taught me that's what you guys taught me you know i I pray you know i'm terrified but i pray that gives, gives me the strength to follow through with it and i go and i tell him my story a little bit we're in his back office and he said, look, I'm the loss prevention guy for every store in Louisiana in uh, East Texas. Been doing this job 11 years. And, um, you know, people like you are just, just hopeless. 
you know he's like it's always me us catching you he's like right when you leave here today i gotta go to court to prosecute two shoplifters and testify you know and he's like it's always just us catching you and going to court and he's like you know people like you are just hopeless you know and he and he's like the real reason i called you in here because my little brother he's a heroin addict and he starts showing me these articles on the on his computer like his colleagues will you know they'll catch him at Home Depot Lowe's, hey, we got your little brother again, you know, and he said, you know, me and my dad really wrote him off, you know, and uh, he's like, but you coming in here today, you've, you've restored my faith in humanity, you know, and I start crying and I'm trembling, you know, and he starts crying, guy I just met, you know, and uh, he tells me, he's like, you know, you coming in here, you've restored my faith in humanity, you gave me some hope. That there's hope, you know, there's hope for people like you. Mm. And um, and he said, you know, you know, he's like, oh, you know, what, what can we do from here? And I said, well, I can afford to pay you 50 bucks a month until it's paid off for about nine and a half years, you know. And um, it's a lot, but 50 yeah. bucks a month ain't. I can afford that at this point, yeah, you know. Yeah. I'm working a couple jobs, you know, two jobs. And, you know, sobriety's good to me. I got a car now, you know, and, um, you know, and he said, look, I here's my cell phone number. And he said, don't hesitate to call me, you know, for anything in life. And he said, I I wish you peace and prosperity for the rest of your days. And I said, look, you know, you know, if your little brother ever reaches out, here's, you know, tell him to call me. I'll talk to him, bring him to a meeting. And I left there, like really my ego juiced up thinking, oh, "Oh, it's all about me. It's all about me. Did this. Yeah. And I started thinking about it, but I realized (laughs) it was nothing to do with me. I don't, I don't have the ability. I'm just a hopeless alcoholic dope fiend. I don't have the ability to restore somebody's faith in humanity. It was that action I took in the book. Doing that, that meant you to do. Yeah. And somebody praying with me and driving me there. If I would have just mailed a letter in the mail, maybe I would have got the same amount of relief. But this guy, that amends, I think, really uplifted him and showed him, hey, there's a chance. You know, people can recover. Contact with him at all? I did for a while. And I don't have his number anymore. I went through a phone and Uh it didn't transfer over. But for a while we did. He, uh, he called me up like two months later, man. And I wish the story would have turned out better, but, uh, yeah, he's like, look, we found my little brother. He was overdosed in a abandoned house. And, uh, he's like, I remember at the time I was selling suits. That was my first job in sobriety. And, uh, he said, I I think it'd only be fitting though that we come by a black suit for his casket from you, you know? So it, it definitely, this made it, Wow. It made an impact on the guy, I guess, that day that he remembered me. It really sucked with his little brother. Yeah. Um, well, what I realized is this is life or death, and not everybody gets this chance to come into recovery. You yeah. know, like God kept me around for a reason. He, you know, he brought me to these rooms. I, sh- I don't deserve it. I should have been dead a number of times. Um, you know, first guy I sponsored, you know, well, one of the first guys. We got all the way to the amends. He wasn't willing to make any. And he, he overdosed and died, you know, um, you know, and what I realize is like, you know, this program, like AA has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. I was never able to, to live and have a life before coming to AA. You know, I really made AA and the steps like the center of my life and it's gave me a wife life worth living. You know, everything, it's all intertwined today. Yeah. You know, I've met a beautiful woman, uh, in the program, um, you know, 
it, my job, my car, like all the tangible things, you know, yeah. checking accounts, never been overdrawn. All those things were impossible before I worked the steps. Slacks. You wear slacks, slacks now? Khakis. Shit. With, with, with a cuff and a crease. <laughs> a cuff and a crease. <laughs> Not really the wrinkled, actually. No cuff. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, I had this realization, you know, we went and, you know, I guess I went once, so I could say I'm doing it. But I went, well, I went twice. Went to Angola to do a big book study. Nice. And I'm sitting there talking to these guys after the meeting, and they're all telling me what they're in there for and stuff. And I, I realized, holy shit, like, these are just normal guys like me and you, you know. In they, there for stuff you did. Right. <laughs> they had one bad night, you know, yeah. like one mistake. I drove loaded every day. I could have easily killed mm. somebody yeah. and be in there for the rest of my life but i'm not i'm freeing on the outside so i just i try to not squander my time here and try to help others you know and i I mean i i do a lot of service you know i'm i'm one of the guys that uh, i I do a fair amount i guess you know and um i'll give you that i know you are too you know i i've called you a couple times last minute and you've showed up you know for a commitment so um and that's what it's about you know serving others that's the secret to this whole sobriety thing. Helping yeah. others, that's the that's the secret. Yeah. You know? And I could go on and on, but I mean it's uh you know, if somebody's new out there and they're struggling, like I you know, the only reason I really came, you know, tried to get sober this time, I ran out of hustles. I ran out of money. Yeah. And I came and it was um, in self preservation. Right. Fear was it, the initial motivator it, probably. And it, one of the major things is I allowed other people to like point me in the right direction and I yeah. followed their suggestions. You know, I didn't say, Oh, I know what's best. Like I actually, cause it's, you know, it's not just one person. It's, it takes a lot. So many people have helped me throughout yeah. the way. And I truly believe that's not, that's not um coincidence. Yeah. There's something out there working. Something's oh, kept so me around. Too. It's so weird. Like sometimes like a lot, my sobriety was a lot of those moments where I was like, this person said something and it's, and it, and it saved like that, that yes. gave me the courage to do this. Right. And then this person was in my life and, you know, and I, you can choose to look at all that as coincidence. Right. Um, but man, sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's coincidence. <laughs> no, you know not what I mean? All. Like That's... sometimes it feels like, like I'm just, I'm, I'm definitely like part of like, of just the flow of the universe or the yeah. of, of the, of, and like, if I allow myself to be carried by it, right, I can join in, you know, the dance. But like the dance with every, yeah, with everybody, yeah, the self. And do you ever think though, like when somebody's saying something, it's in hindsight. Like if you don't take that action, that you might have heard somebody else talking about, or whatever that experience is. If I don't, if I didn't allow that person to drive me to that immense, oh, man. I would have had that experience and it wouldn't seem like it's God working. It wouldn't be anything. But you know? then, and, and then that's what I think. I think that at any moment I can get back into it. And like, and, but I'm all the time missing opportunities yeah. presented to me, you know? Right. And, and that's what's so great. It's like, I can choose to like join in and take the opportunity that's given to me one right. time. Right. And my life takes a completely <laughs> different direction. Yeah, It's crazy. You know? you know, and it's, it's all about, you know, God's will recovery. It's all about saying yes and going, doing the uncomfortable thing, getting in the car with the people you really don't know and seeing where the car takes you, you know? Yeah. Um, like, cause you never know. You know what? The, I can easily say no, and I'm gonna watch the NBA Finals tonight, and then I don't have I this know. experience. The game's you know? probably over. Yeah, 
So who do you think won? Um, I think Golden State's going to win tonight. Oh, I want the Raptors, but I think they're going to. The I have, NBA I is going to let feeling, it go. They want the it to go seven. I have the feeling that because <laughs> <laughs> we're just going. Why yeah. are we ending with this? <laughs> we could turn this into a sports podcast. But uh, <laughs> we've been going on. <laughs> Uh, all right, cool, man. Yeah. So you think? Uh, I think I think that was a, a well-told story. I solid, yeah. I, I stayed loaded for a while, I yeah. believe, but uh, you know, I, I did my best to just tell the truth. And you know, we're blessed in New Orleans. We really do have a, a pocket of enthusiasm that you hear it referred to over and over. But yeah, I've been to meetings elsewhere, you know, and it's not the same as what yeah. we got going on here. Yeah, we got a podcast. We got a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty official. We have a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> recovery from right. podcast well dude all right thanks yeah thanks for coming by hey, man it's a pleasure all right anytime